Hello everybody, how's it going today? Goldfly two three one here, back in day to talk about weekly Shonen Jump, issue number 43 of 2023. Look at that, we got two numbers that sort of rhyme, 43 and 2023. I guess 43 and 23, but you guys get the point. This issue of Shonen Jump is a big one today, because as we normally do here on this channel, whenever we talk about Shonen Jump, I normally like to talk about every series that I read in the magazine, of course. And this week is one of those weeks it just got really, really, really big somehow. Pretty much, normally whenever I review Shonen Jump, there's normally like one series on break. Like One Piece goes on break every, what is it, three weeks or something like that. My Hero Academia at this point um, goes on break very frequently too. And not to mention just some regularly scheduled breaks of like some series like Elusive Samurai was off last week. And every so often we get some series on break, right? But also difference here is, of course, that there are a bunch of new series going on right now. Of course, we have we've had new series for the past three weeks with Mami Yu Kagurabachi, and then today, of course, we are going to be starting talking about Two on Ice. And just a quick spoiler here, if you don't quite know how these videos are going, currently it is like January 11th of 2024. Whenever I'm recording this, and these chapters all came out at the very tail end of September. So slowly but surely we're catching up. So we've only got about a three and a two week difference between or like a 14 week difference in between when these chapters really came out and now but that is still a big enough difference to where it sort of matters in a way. But of course, being with that two on ice is a series that as I'm going to talk about it, I've dropped it in three chapters, right? Like, I have not continued to read it past three chapters. I'm still going to do a brief summary here in this video, but not talk about it for too long. But yeah, just with all of those factors, there are a lot of series to talk about. Actually, 14 in total this week, which whenever I'm used to doing like 12, just adding two more onto this, it just makes it a whole lot more to not only read whenever you're sitting down and reading these chapters, but also a whole lot more to talk about. Um, and of course, at the very end of this video, I will go through and rank all these chapters from what I thought was the best chapter of the week to what I thought was the worst chapter of the week and every single other ranking in between there. So what I thought my best series was and what I thought the worst series was and second best. And if you don't know what the seventh best was, just wait till the end of the video. But I will also be picking a MVP or a most valuable character or however you want to call it. Pretty much what character I thought showed a lot of really cool things and who I'm just excited to see more of in the future, right? So all of that will be at the very end of the video, but to really just sit down and get into it, like I so said, we got 14 chapters to go through. So let's start off with My Hero Academia, chapter number 401. This chapter is titled The Lunatic. Of course, last chapter, Stain appeared out of nowhere almost, and of course, used his blood curdle quirk to lick um, some of All For One's blood to pause him in his tracks as he was getting ready to attack All Might, and of course, All Might was getting in to attack him, right? We sort of start off the chapter with All or all For One just sort of realizing what's going on here, and we get more into Stain's mindset of he's like, oh my gosh, All Might, you are a hero who must live, and I am here because you must live for the future. And we also see All Might is like, oh, Stain, like, I never thought I'd want to see this guy again as he is going in for a massive punch on All For One. But before All For One can actually get there, Stain, or All, all Might can actually get in for his punch, All For One, all of a sudden, starts to explode and pretty much, he uses a quirk called Forcible Quirk Activation Bloodlet. And pretty much, 
this cork, cork is what it sounds like. He pretty much lets out all of the blood congoagulated inside of his body and explodes it out. So he is no longer impacted by Stain's blood curdle quirk, right? And at this point, all for one sort of gets into his whole monologue. I'm an evil villain, right? As you sort of say, he's like, oh, Stain, I had a feeling that you'd make some kind of move during this time. So he's like, so I was sure to hold these powerful quirks in reserve. And he says, ever since that day at Tartarus, you were the only one to hinder my takeover and flee on your own terms, right? But pretty much saying says like hey even blood outside your body is still blood so as he goes to use his blood quirtle quirk again it actually doesn't work on all for one because all for one has another quirk antigen swap which is he pretty much explains this he's been using it to overwrite his blood type for years pretty much saying that whenever he committed a crime there's never any trace of him left behind right so nobody could pin it on him and this is how he did it with this antigen swap quirk pretty much making his blood seem like somebody else's blood which that's honestly a really scary power to have right but at this point stain has just gotten captured by all for one's next attack and all for one pretty much throws stain through multiple buildings until stain finally ends up in one building right all my sort of sees this and is like oh no stain but all for one sort of is quicker to the punch as he gets up and goes and sees Stain, who is sort of laying in a crater of a building that um, all for one threw him to. And pretty much all for one just says like, hey, Stain, I'm going to be taking your blood quirtle quirk now. So as he goes over, he just goes and pretty much just kills all for one or, or not all for one kills Stain, right? All for one kills Stain. That's what I'm trying to say. And as he does this, we see that Stain is just turned into a massive just like bloodbath is like i don't even think there's an arm or a leg or anything of him left so this is sort of an the end of stain but stain does really have a lot of a cool moment in this track where he comes in to save the day from all my or to help all might out right at this point all for all might is flying over towards all for one after all for one of course just killed stain and all for one sort of just holds out his hand and of course he's got, always got that little circle in his hand where he can shoot like the laser beam from or whatever it is right but it's all might's flying towards him he's just like oh crap as of course his car hercules comes in to protect all might one last time as a bunch of its parts all come together and form one final shield for all might but of course as soon as it forms this shield all for one blast through it as we see All Might gets totally knocked to the ground and all of his armor is pretty much beaten up and destroyed. As All Might pretty much starts hallucinating as he hallucinates Nana Shimura up on top of him. Who is just like, hey Toshinori, your tale is still being written. You can still do this, right? And All Might's just like, oh master, no, I'm definitely hallucinating here. He's like, this is just me trying to give myself my own personal pep talk. As then we see that Night Eye, Sir Night Eye appears before All Might. And in this same hallucinatory state, he pretty much repeats the words of like, All Might, you're going to die a gruesome death and you can no longer fight. But All Might then just gets out of this funk and he just says like, however, I am not dead yet. As we see that he's just sort of crawling on, all beaten up and bloodied with all of his armor taken off and destroyed. As he's crawling on towards All For One and he's just like, do your worst. And we sort of just didn't see that All For One is sort of just standing up in this sea of blood that he's created pretty much and looking at the big crashing UA flying high in the sky up above him 
and we sort of just get a message of like, oh no, the, there's a big bad deal going on because All for One is almost near Tomura Shigaraki. He's like, he's arranged to use his gloop quark, which is the big bad thing we don't want happening. That's where my hero ends off this week. I really love the scene with Stain at the beginning, sort of showing Stain. And of course, as much as you may not like All for One, he definitely outplays Stain here. And it could just be the anime manga thing of, oh, hey, let me just make this power so that his power doesn't work. But either way, I find it really cool. And of course, All Might's declaration at the end of Hage is like, I'm not dead yet. And you do your worst media, you can do AFO. It's just a really awesome moment, I think. Of that, we're going to hop over to One Piece chapter number 193. This chapter is titled Luffy versus Kizaru. I'll give you one guess to what happens in this chapter. If you didn't guess it, yes, Luffy fights Kizaru. Pretty much start off the chapter of, of course, Luffy in gear fifth. Him and Kizaru just start going back and forth and fighting. While they're fighting, we eventually cut over into a part of Egghead Island where Atlas is with a lot of the other core cast. We see Chopper's there, Nami's there, Usopp's there, and a bunch of the other people, and also Atlas and Vegapunk are there. Those are the main two here. We pretty much see that Atlas is getting ready to go on some unknown un unknown mission, but Vegapunk insists that um, Atlas take him with her. Or, I don't know if Atlas is a girl. I don't remember. Um, they need to go together on whatever this is going, right? This is also going on, we cut over to the um, building where Frankie is with Lilith, and they're all pretty much talking about it, and a big part of this is, hey, where is Jewelry Bonnie right now? Like, where on Egghead is she? We eventually go to the main city part of Egghead, where all the Marines are sort of walking around and not being able to sort of do their job, and they're also sort of saying, like, hey, um, Bonnie is somewhere in this area. She will tweak your age, so everybody be on the lookout as we see that Bonnie has tweaked the ages of a lot of people on the island. Um, and we see Bonnie's just sort of hovering in fear. She also sees a beaten and bloodied Sentamaru, and thinks from earlier in the series whenever Sentamaru let Bonnie run. We eventually cut over into the Labo phase itself as another fight is going on. This is the fight between, of course, Rob Lucci and Zoro. They have a little bit of a conversation and Zoro's just like, hey, um, Lucci, if this is the best you can do, um, I wouldn't expect you to get a thing from fighting our captain, right? Because you're obviously not going to beat him because you're not going to beat me. Pretty much just showing like Zoro's big ego there, right? But Lucci's just like, hey... Um, we'll see, he's like, but even even so, if I beat you, still having the number two of a Yonko ship is worth more than just killing a captain, right? Like, Zoro, taking down Zoro is also a really big deal. We then come back over to the fight with Kizaru and Luffy, as they just keep going back and forth. Luffy throws Kizaru out towards the sea. Kizaru sort of diverts his path as he's getting close to the water, and uses a move called, um, Yakikani's Sacred Jewel, which pretty much in essence duplicates Kizaru. Luffy has a hard time trying to fight all these guys and gets to a lot of funny gear fifth antics because of course he's just like a Toontown character now like it's pretty fun right but Luffy, Luffy takes care of all these guys but he's like oh no where's the real one as we see the real one is actually down dealing with everybody um, there in the Labo phase of course where Nami, Usopp and everybody is but we see of course that Vegapunk and Atlas aren't there anymore because they hopped in the Vegatank Model 8 which is pretty much just like a ball with two wheels coming off of each side of it and it's running up um who's this face Vegapunk has a moment where he's like hey Bonnie I'm coming to say you right as Luffy looks down all this he's like oh no what's going on 
And as he goes down to try to beat up Kizaru some more, Kizaru fires off a laser at him and it sort of gets in Luffy's eyes and he sort of processes it that way as we see that it pretty much goes in through Luffy's mouth and of course escapes through his eyes and ears. It's actually a pretty funny visual to think about it. But we see where the Vega Tank 8 is actually going with Atlas and Vegapunk. It is climbing up the entire part, or no, it is going down from the actual Labo phase into the Fabrio phase, I think is what it's called, of Egghead. And pretty much as you're down there, Atlas puts out in a declaration pretty much saying to like, hey, attention all pacifistas, Vegapunk has new orders wipe out all navy sailors on this island and as atlas says that we see that all the pacifists sort of hear this and register in his command but we also see jay garcita saturn who is obviously still on the navy ship as we end off the chapter with an image of him sort of looking out like oh no right this is a fine chapter of one piece in my opinion of course i'm not the biggest one piece fan when it comes to just sort of the series in general this is a very complicated chapter and it is really cool to see luffy fight off against kizaru and sort of see how they're both besting each other but how kizaru sort of just outsmarts luffy at a point i do like it and of course seeing more gear fifth luffy is always really fun because you just can't say it's not fun but of course we get the big twist at the end of the chapter of okay all the past pieces may be attacking the navy now i mean that is a very big deal by one piece standards so yeah, and with that, on to Undead Unluck, chapter number 176. This chapter is titled, That's the Whole Reason. And hey, that's just the whole reason. We start off this chapter with a little bit of a flashback into whenever Rip, Lala, and Layla first met. Of course, I'm guessing this is the same in every loop, but it's probably specifically from this loop. We then cut back over to where Fuko was apparently explaining the whole situation to Rip, and Rip was sort of just looking back on the past, or spacing out while Fuko was telling him all of this. But Rip sort of has taken in enough information just to say like, hey, um, so I have to gain this unrepair power, and then I can help take out the Uma Sickness and protect everybody in this hosp hospital. But Fuko's like, um, well yes you can do, but to be able to truly get the best effects of this, you're going to have to employ the power of an artifact, of course, a Blade Runner, and in order to use it, you will have to amputate both of your legs. Of course, to hearing this, um, Lotla's just like, no, you can do that to Rip. Like, Rip's such a good guy, but Rip pretty much just says, like, hey, I've amputated many limbs in the past to help save other people. He's like, it's now my turn to go under the knife and amputate myself, right? At this point, he also asks Fuka, like, hey, how long till Sick will reappear? And Sick says, probably about tomorrow. So to this point, Rip hears, and he's like, hey, do you mind if I step out for a little while, Fuko? And Fuko's just like, yeah, of course. He's like, if I need to contact you, I've got your phone number. I'll give you a call. At this point, we cut to outside where Lotla is sitting, of course, on her famous motorcycle. As we see that Rip runs out of a hospital with a sick Layla and, of course, himself. And they all hop in a motorcycle, and they go out to the shore of the beach. It is here where all three of them sort of have a conversation and... Pretty much the whole point of this is that Rip and everybody are just like, hey, I've been doing my best not to change. Like, I always wanted all of you guys around me to have the same dynamic that we've always had. I didn't want to lose anything important to me by losing any of you. As pretty much we just get a few images of seeing everybody outside or seeing a flashback to where the three of them were all 
always together and they even were in a play together and Rip was sort of such a charismatic man whenever he was putting I guess they're trying to recreate a Cinderella play and whenever Rip was putting one of the glass slippers on Lotla or Layla he calls over Lotla and puts one on her too right just showing how much like how good of friends though, the three of them are all together as um pretty much a narration just says like hey we've always been together and I always thought that would be the case he says Lotla would always go overboard and I would always get beat and Layla would always come to stop her and we'd all come to a peaceful resolution and we all laughed and he's like and that's how we've all lived up until now as they pretty much get done playing in the water and they come back out and just lay on the beach as Rip just sort of starts up a new declaration as he just says like hey they're not going to get away with it. They can be an Uma or they can be a god. It doesn't matter. I am going to save everything that I hold dear. And he says, that is the whole reason I became a doctor. As all of a sudden we see, cut back to Fuko, who is now just called Rip up on his phone and said, like, hey Rip, um, it's time. Sick is on the move. He's back here. And we see that they are already heading back anyway. But we see as Rip is talking to her, he's like, all right, I'll be back in five. And he then looks down to Lotla and is like, hey, Lotla, this will be my final operation. Will it be a success? And of course, Lotla says, it will succeed. I guarantee it. As we also see that Rip is sort of marking off with a permanent marker on his leg where he's going to amputate his own leg. This is a really fun chapter, I think. Well, it's not my favorite. Like, I do really like Rip. The ending moment is probably the best in the chapters. We sort of just get Rip's declaration of, hey, I'm going to screw over whoever this god is that wants to kill everybody. But then he also says, like, hey, um, reinforcing the idea that, like, he believes in Lotla. He's like, hey, Lotla, so my final operation will be a success. And her just affirmation. It's just really nice to see. And everything else in the middle of the chapter, I'm not the biggest fan of, but it is very necessary to get through Rip's character in this arc across, so... I can't really be mad at it at all. Now on to a series that I probably could be mad about if I really, 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 really cared. The Ichinose's Family Deadly Sins, Chapter 42. This chapter is titled Shiori's Memories. Of course, we start off the chapter of Tsubasa in the hospital waiting room like, what's going on? Why am I having this dream again? When did it start again? As he thinks back to like, all right, me and Soda were going back to Tokyo, and all of a sudden we went to my house, but it wasn't my house anymore. Like, what what's going on here? And he thinks like, and the tea that I drank before we got back into town, it tasted really weird. And it's like, it's like the tea I drank before the accident. And all of a sudden, as he's thinking all of this, Soda comes up behind him and sort of reinforces what Subasa is thinking. It's like, hey, we're all inside of a dream. We probably got drugged at some point, and while we were on our way home, he's like, everyone else must be asleep too. He's like. But one of them is also pretending to have amnesia. Like, what's going on here? And eventually we see that um, Soda's just like, hey, um, somebody here knows everything that's going on. And eventually we just quick cut over to him at this point. To Tsubasa, Sota are sitting there and then talking with their dad. Who's, if I'm not mistaken, their na dad's name's like Kakeru or something. Like, um... Kakeru, it's something like that. I'm, I'm, I don't exactly remember, but pretty much what Soto says, like, hey, quit this nonsense and wake us all up right now, Dad. As um, everybody's just like, huh, what's going on here? And Tsubasa is just like, why, Dad? But Soto continues to say, like, hey, the dream of Grandpa's research, you are the only other one who knows this much about what's going on. 
as pretty much as you're talking, they just, I'm going to skip fuel lines here because it's honestly not that important. And pretty much um, the dad just says like, hey, well, um, you, if you guys want to wake up, you guys can wake up whenever you want to. But he says, all it will take is the will to actually wake up from the dream. But he looks down to all the other family members back behind him and he says, but it doesn't seem like all of them back there are interested in doing that. As he says, none of them want to wake up and live a real family life. And he says, this is the ideal family situation that everybody here wants. And he says, I just want my family to be happy. So he says, so if they don't want to suffer, then I want to make that dream come true to them. As he pretty much says like, hey, in this dream, all of the seven of us as a family are finally together again, and I don't want anybody to get in the way of that. But Soda is just like, hey, if this is just running away from things, like how could you resort to this? But all of a sudden, the dad pulls out like a card, which is perfect. Is he just looks over to Soda and he just says, you're accusing me of running away and doing this, but you also ran off and went to Fuki and played house with a bunch of strangers. Is that really any different? And Sota at this point just looks destroyed as the dad just stands up and is like, hey, your mom cried so much. Is it really so bad you wish you for you could forget everything and start all over again? As we, after this point, we see that um, Soda and Tsubasa are standing outside and the two of them are sort of stay, talking and eventually like, hey, we have to wake up from this dream before it overtakes us and go back to our house. And pretty much they're just like, oh, hey, we've got to make this situation totally better. We eventually see that Shiori walks up to next to time to two of them and she's just like, hey, it's time to eat everybody. Um, but then she also just looks over and she's like, oh man, I'm so happy that I have two older brothers. And at this point in the chapter, we sort of do a hard cut over to what, Shiori's idea of most of this as we see that Shiori's whole mantra is like hey if only I could forget everything and just start over again as pretty much the whole idea here is that Shiori really loved having her brother Sota around because of course Sota would be the only one that would pay attention to her at times because their family was so segmented at points right and we see a certain image to where Soda, um, this is like, hey, Shiori, come on with me. We can go out and do something as, um, she just thinks like, hey, So was always looking out for me and I always thought he would. But then there's the big image of Sota just leaving the house after the family destroyed his camera. But Shiori just thinks like, hey, if I could forget everything and start over again, enjoy being able to chaff my entire family, if I could actually be paid attention to, um, not be worried about everything going on or being missing when I got lost. He's like, but more than that, she looks down to where Sota is um, whenever Sota's camera got destroyed. And we pretty much get the idea that she wants to protect Sota and how she's going to do it is in this dream. She's going to try to help out Sota as much as she can, even if it means forgetting everything. I do like the beginning of the chapter where sort of Soda and Tsubasa just call out the dad on like everything he's doing wrong. And then the ending part of Shiori is, it's okay. It's not really my favorite thing, but we'll see where it goes next chapter. Next up is Martial Master Sumi chapter number 14. This chapter is titled The Young Tiger. So pretty much as we saw last time, Nito just won his battle against, um, well, I, oh, I forget his name. I think his name was Moretto. Yeah, his name's Moretto. That's right. He won his battle against Moretto in flat out seconds. And it was a really big deal to where, oh yeah, Nito looks really, really cool, right? 
So we start off this chapter sort of looking around at a bunch of the competitors in the back room, as of course Nito sort of points out like, hey, here in the dropout, they don't give us our individual waiting rooms, so everybody's sort of stuck back here. As we see the two next fighters who are going going on stage, um, the one guy is the biker gang dude, and the other guy is the um, guy who is always in juvenile detention, pretty much. They're going to be fighting each other next, and we also see that the DJ rapper guy got the absolute crap beat out of him in his round. So Nita sort of freaks out like, oh man, we are giving our individual writing rooms. I just feel sick being about he back here. As um, he's just like, they've all got us packed in a corner. Like, oh man, I hate this. But as he's thinking about this, he um, is thinking like, all right, Itakawake is doing uh, reconnaissance on my next opponent. And he also looks over where Yoshitoki is. And we see that Yoshitoki is taught in a very deep conversation with one of the staff about things coming on here. And, and Nito's just thinking like, oh man, you guys need to please hurry back here. Like, oh no, what's going on? And all of a sudden he looks up and he sees Moreto who is walking towards him. And he's just like, oh no, this guy's going to be pissed off me. What am I going to do here? And he's like, oh crap. As all of a sudden Moreto walks up to him, he's like, man, that was a pretty br brutal finish. And he's just like, oh, my memory is so hazy. I had to watch a replay a few times to remember what happened, right? But he pretty much is like, hey, thanks for the match for today, Nito. And he's like, you mind if we get a picture? And Nito is just like freaking out like, Huh, huh, what's going on here? But he gets in a picture from Moretto. Um, but Moretto just says, like, hey, Nito, now you um, beat me. You better win the entire thing. Um, and he says, like, hey, um, if you make it big, your your debut match is going to be played over and over. And, hey, it was with me, which means that I'd get famous by association. So you better go ahead and win all of this, right? But he pretty much says, like, hey, it was an honor to fight you, Nito, and I am wishing you luck, right? And to this, Nito is just like, oh, well, thank you. And he just thinks, like, Man, that guy was way cooler about being beaten to ring than I thought he would. I thought he was going to, like, beat me up or something, right? But Nito then just thinks to something that Kazuro had said before. Like, all of these fighters are people who are just trying to do the things that they love doing. And with that, it's just a really nice sentiment that Nito is finally understanding this. Of course, but somebody who is affiliated with Kazuro is also here. That, of course, being Hiroki. Hiroki walks over to Nito. It's like, oh, hey, Nito, how's it going? And Nito's like, oh, my gosh, thank God there's somebody else I know here. Like, oh, we're doing good. But, of course, Hiroki walks over, and um, of, he's, of course, talking with Kazuro and, of course, the other girl on his phone, everybody at Kazuro's gym. And um, he's like, hey, dude, your bro's on vid chat right now. He shows it, and we see that Kazuro's here, and Kazuro's just like, hey, Nito, I saw you on your match. He's like, you pulled out for one hell of a knockout. He's like, I couldn't be prouder as your big brother. But he pretty much just says, like, hey, um, but that match was was way too quick. Like, hey, um, your next bout, it should be putting you through a test, though. Show everybody what you're made of is my little brother, pretty much, right? And this Nito is just thinking. He's like, oh, crap, of course, Kazuro. But he thinks of something that Yoshitoki had said before. Um, he remembers that Yoshitoki pretty much said, like, hey, um, good job on making it through your debut match without getting hurt, Nito. But he says pretty much, you cannot rely on your flying knee um, anymore. Your opponents will now be watching out for it, right? So what was your ace in the hole? You sort of did use it a bit early. And he says, like, hey, your next bout is going to really test what you can do. As he's pretty much just, like, goes through and is like, hey, three fights in one day is a really big deal. He's like, if I sense that you're getting into danger at all, I'm just going to stop you. And Nito's like, okay, sounds good. But to this, Yoshitoki eventually just turns around and says, hey, Nito, but one more thing congratulations on your first victory. And we see that Nito is just thinking about this as all of a sudden, 
we start seeing it neato's it's like oh man i actually won that um at this point um pretty much hiroki walks away with the phone with kazuro on it and neato sort of just sits down and just thinks like man i actually won the fight like I actually didn't think I could do it, and as he starts to rummage around for his phone, he sees the one guy in the tiger mask walk up to him, right? And he's just like, oh crap, why is this tiger dude here in front of me? Like, come on, man. But as the guy sort of starts to take his mask off, we see this is somebody we've met before. It is actually Taiga, the person who Nito met at the underground before whenever they were sort of looking at what was going on, right? Um, Taiga and Nito then start to talk, and Nito's just like, oh, wait, why are you here? And he's just like, are you, you competing too, right? And they say talk around, um, Taiga sort of makes a little bit of an interesting remark here, saying like, hey, man, I'm not a big internet user, um, and I mean, I do wa watch fight footage occasionally, but I didn't recognize who you were, and like, I didn't recognize you were so famous, right? But Nito's just like, oh, hey, it's not that big of a deal, as he also makes a note of like, hey, my big brother is the fighting star, not me, like, I'm not here yet. But to this, Taiga just says, like, hey, um, either way, Nito, I think we're the same. Neither of us care about being here for the actual tournament. Both of us want our pro certifications as quick as we can get them, and that's why we're here. As Taiga also then just drops another nugget of information just saying that, um, there's been a rumor going around that, um, pretty much there's going to be a tournament for all of the pro certified fighters age 20 and other at the end of the year, and pretty much hearing this and like the winner has a chance to go in and do that right and Nito is just like huh what's going on all of a sudden as all of a sudden the announcer guy of course guy with like the big bat drawn on his face the yeah the DJ not the DJ the actual announcer we've seen announcing all these fights and being like a moderator he started he starts yelling he's like hey you kids hold it right there no one under um under 15 is allowed back here as we see three little kids just start running in and they all run up to Taiga, right? As they're all just like, hey, we're here for one of the fighters. As we're like, oh, hey, Taiga, we found you. And Taiga sort of to this like, hey, what are you guys doing? I told you not to come to this shady place. And they're like, hey, we insisted. As the announcer's like, hey, my, my place isn't shady. And he looks over at Taiga and he's like, oh, I, I get it. All of these kids are part of the system. Oh, well, and he's like, I'll go get some seating arrangements for him. Like, you don't have to worry about this, Taiga. And Taiga's like, oh, well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. You." Yumeki, so I guess this guy's name is Yumeki. It's good to know. Pretty much from this, the whole part we get is that Taiga is from an orphanage in a very unprivileged part of town. And that's pretty much the whole thing is Yumeki just says like, hey, that was just me being hasty. He's like, this here is your dream is being an MMA fighter. He says, I'll help you pay it for. And he says, if you become a professional fighter so you can inspire courage and kids about families from broken homes, you come here to watch fights. I want you to be able to do that. So this is actually like a really awesome note, just seeing like how this guy's like, hey, you don't come from a good place. So if you can help rally kids who also don't come from a good place, oh, it is just an amazing message here. Pretty much Nito just thinks like, man, he comes from an orphanage. How could I not be in his corner? And he also just thinks like, hey, if the two of us were going to end up being in a fight, it would be in the very finals. He's like, how could I bear to win in that case when we are both so close to our dreams and we both have reasons for doing it? At this point, we see the match between the biker gang guy and the um, delinquent or the juvenile delinquent guy has also just started at, or has just finished, I should say, with the biker gang guy winning. And to this, Tiger's like, oh, well, see you later, Nito. I have to go. I'm, I'm glad we did talk. And he says, good luck to both of us. 
and Nidos is like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I'll, he'll be facing Hiroki next, so I honestly don't know who to cheer for. We start off with the fight between Taiga and Hiroki, as I'm not going to get too hardcore into fighting here. Pretty much, the two of them fight Taiga knocks Hiroki on the ground and puts him in a back choke, and ends the match as Hiroki sort of gets out very fast. We actually don't get a time frame for how long this actually happens, but we also see that Kazuro is, of course, watching the fight and makes a note of, man, Taiga has actually got a lot of ground that he can stand on. He says, Taiga is a pure MMA fighter, and he's like, man, Nito, you're going to be looking at a challenge whenever you get to face him, as he pretty much says, like, all right, Nito, you and him are going to fight. That's how this is going to go. So at this point, Nito's just like, oh my gosh, what am I thinking? That guy's so powerful, but he's like, either way, I really want to fight Taiga, and I want to win. It'll be a test of strength for me. He's like, I can actually do this. He's like, I want to fight him. As we sort of get Taiga's whole information, his name is actually Taiga um, Amagaki. He's age 16, and he is a high school second year. He is 175 centimeters and weighs 65 kilograms. So he is like 10 more pounds than what Nito weighs. Like, oh my gosh. Um, we also see that Nito has finally found his phone and checks it and sees that he has got a few messages from a bunch of people, not only his family, but also now in Yuya and everybody at Yoshitoki's MMA. And as he's doing this, he's just like, oh my gosh, my grandpa's watching and all of this. But all of a sudden, somebody walks up to Nito and he's just say, say, oh, were you having a good time watching somebody else's fight there, Nito? And he's just like, hey, don't forget... Next, you've got to throw down with me, as he just says, like, hey, we're going to leave all the grappling to the others. Let's talk you and I with our own fists. He says, it'll be a rumble. As we see, this guy is Kinjo Sakura, aged at 19. He is a high school 30-year who was held back twice, so this guy isn't a super senior. He's a super, super senior, which that's pretty good. But he is the modern day gangster, and he's 177 centimeters and 69 kilograms. Pretty much at that upper limit, right? And I'm pretty sure Nito's like 15 years old. So this guy's like four four years older than him. But um, Sakura runs back up to where Nito is, and he's like, hey, and when this is over, Nito, you and I are going to be buddies for life. As we see Nito's final reflection of like, oh crap, round two, what will it hold? And that's where we end off this Martial Master Sumi chapter. I just can't get it like through to this audience enough of how much I absolutely love this series. We see so much in this chapter. We see the next fight sort of go through and happen. We see um, Muretto come up to Nito, and he's actually not a bad guy, and Nito is just scared for nothing. And then the whole thing of Taiga and how he's an orphan, and how his goal is to rally up all the orphans and help them out with along getting his pro certification. And also just the announcers. Just great attitude with all of this. It's really amazing. And then Tiger's fight where he just overwhelms, overwhelms the only other guy we know who is strong in Hiroki and just completely dominates him. This is just awesome. And I honestly just can't wait for next chapter because, yeah, I, I also just want to see where this next fight goes between Nido and Kinjo Sakura. I mean, this is just awesome. Next up is Mama Yu Chapter 3. Of course, last time... Oh. The chapter title is The Faucet and the Baby Bird. Oh boy. Last time in last video, I recorded such a terrible section on Mama Yu Yu, I cut it out from the video. And because of that, 
I, I don't really have too much to say about this, so I'm going to fly through this with my utmost ability. We're going to see if I can get this done in under one minute. So all of a sudden, Mama's on the ground. Is he's, her hand just caught, caught cut off, right? And Corleo's getting ready to run, and all of a sudden, the beast is coming towards him, but some guy jumps down from the sky. We eventually, in the chapter later, we'll learn this guy's name is Panelo. We'll get more on him later, right? But Panelo comes through, asks the status from... Corleo and Corleo's just like, huh? But Panleo just says like, hey, what's the status? Corleo gives him the status and Panleo just goes through and absolutely murders this creature. Eventually also picks up Mama and runs him off to the hospital where he tells Corleo to come up and follow with him. We see that this is guy is the former Demon Lord Army Commander and the current Demon Hero Central Army General. He's um, His name is um, Panleo and of course he is a demon. That's pretty crazy, right? We eventually see that Corleo runs into the room where pretty much Panleo cuts straight to the point and says like, Hey, Corleo, good to see you here. But currently there is a small number of eyewitness accounts of demon of other demon kings and heroes um, believed to be from other worlds being reported in our world. And he says, in the central base, we already have one otherworldly hero in our custody. Um, there's no telling what will go happen going forward. And he's like, Corleo, do you have the courage to come with us in a battle and go to the central HQ with me? That's pretty much a little bit of a deal. Um, we didn't see that Panleo and Corleo are sitting together outside as we see that Corleo um, is sort of sitting there and they're talking to each other. And Panleo just says like, hey, I'm sorry, if I had only been there a little bit faster, we could have helped save Mama Ma. Oh boy, look at that. And all of a sudden, Corleo just starts crying, just like, hey, there are a lot of people out there trying to start trying to call me hero and I'm grateful, but I tried to run away back there and it's just, uh, what, what, what can I do to get stronger? And Panleo just says like, hey, you were in a tough spot and we were forced to think really fast so you'd come up with a lot of separate opportunities that you could have done he's like but the actual answer was actually quite simple he's like you needed to defeat that monster and then take um lady mama to the hospital and that's all there was to it he's like but hey if you need to get stronger come to central with us and he just says like hey i'm going to be leaving from the station at 7 a.m tomorrow and he's like if you want to come meet me there you're welcome to but you don't have to at this point, we cut over to where Corleo and Mama sort of just have a little discussion. We pretty much learned that Mama was romantically interested in Hollow Hollow, the previous hero, and then Hollow Hollow died, and she found Corleo, and Mama just sees a lot of Corleo, um, or a lot of Hollow Hollow in Corleo. And that's sort of just big deal. Corleo makes a declaration of, hey, I want to get a lot stronger. And at the end of the chapter, we sort of just see that as Corleo runs up to where Panaleo is at the, um, train station pretty much um panleo just says like hey tell me corleo um, who are you right and corleo says that i am the hero and during this we also get a little bit of a narration just saying like oh the words heroes and demon lord and the world now once in holds um to who bared a dear demon hero monocore but it's like oh but sort of as we see that the demon hero era has come to its end and the world is starting to move into a new era era and that turbulent era would be later called by a new name of mama yuyu demons heroes <laughs> this was a chapter i i do i'm going to preface this by saying of course reading this chapter from almost a little under four months ago this series gets really good really soon in my opinion but just this prelude these first three chapters isn't really a good showing for the being of this series. We get introduced to Panleo, who's pretty cool, and the whole discussion between Mama Ma and Corleo, 
I'm just not really that big of a fan of, but yeah. From this point on, I think Mami Yu gets a whole lot better from where Panaleo and Corleo go to Central and they see a bunch of stuff going on and the plot sort of thickens from there. That definitely took me over two minutes or over a minute to get through, so oops. But we're going to keep on the speed train and go into Kagurabachi chapter number two. This chapter is titled Heaps. Because heaps of bodies are hidden in the ground. We also get a very nice color page with Kagurabachi, with Kagurabachi and some nice like golden letters at the top of the screen. And then Chiro, our main character, standing with his sword in sort of a pool of blood with a bunch of these um, dead guys he killed last time. We do start off this chapter, of course, with um, Chiro and Shiba and this that one random activist dude inside the building where Chiro had just used his um, enchanted blade to get rid of a bunch of people. Um, pretty much, Shiba just says, like, hey, kid, me and you need to get outside. And as they start to walk out, we see that Chiro is talking to the Yakuza boss, pretty much just saying, like, hey, um, we know about the Hakushu and that they first merged four years ago. But he's like, you are going to tell us everything else you know, right? Um, Yakuza guy is just like, um, hey, what, what's what's up with you guys? Why do you want this information? But pretty much Shiro's like threatening him, holding the blade up to his neck. He's like, hey, you will tell me everything you know about the Hakushu. And eventually the boss is like, okay, the Hakusho. And as he starts to say it, all of a sudden he can't get the words out as his face starts to morph and change. As all of a sudden, those same tree root power things start to bloom out of his body and pretty much get rid of him. And at this point, Shiba and the guy who's with, who they're walking outside, see this. And Shiba uses a bit of his sorcery, I guess, to, which is, seems like a teleportation ability, to transport him and this other kid outside, right? Shiba then runs back inside to where Chiro is. And Chiro's just like, oh man, that was really close. And, um... Chiba's like, so what's up with that guy? But um, Chiro's is like, oh, he must have had some sorceries embedded in him. So the moment he started to talk about the hawk issue and give out secrets, he would just be killed. As both Shiba and Chiro sort of realize that the sorcerer who implanted that spell was definitely a really big and bad guy, right? And at this point, the two of them are just like, all right, well, I think we'll head back over to Tokyo and see if we can't get any more information from there. At this point, we see as we're walking out, Chiro sort of starts to collapse a little bit as Shiba sort of just catches him. He's like, hey, he's now kid. You've burned up a lot of your strength today. As Shiba starts to think back, and he's just like, man, still, three years ago, Chiro had zero combat experience. And he's like, and he hasn't even um, unlocked the full potential of, the of his Enchanted Blades yet. But it's still impressive how far he's come in that short amount of time. As we look back to where Shiba, of course... Um, came up to the mansion one day, or not mansion, the workshop of where Chiro and Rokushi, um, Rokushige were, um, or Kunishige, Kunishige, that's his name, and of course, this is the day that Chihiro's dad died, as Shiba pretty much explains, like, hey, um, they've got pretty much a barrier around their house, and it was configured to alert me to enter into any interference, and he's like, so that day, whenever interference happened, I rushed over. As we see that he runs up to where a bloody Kunishige is, and also bloodied um, Chiro is standing over him, holding a sword in his hand. And Shiba runs over, like, hey, Chiro, is everything okay? But Chiro, who's just sitting there, is like, oh, Mr. Shiba. And he's like, there were sorcerers. And 
he, we see that Shira sort of flashes back and sees a bunch of sorcerers all together. And most importantly, he sees a sorcerer who looked like the sorcerer from last chapter who was interfering with the mafia boss, right? That's an actual, a pretty cool thing, sort of seeing that like, all right, these sorcerers are one and the same person, even though Chiro does not know that at the time. Shiba pretty much explains that um, during the war, Rokuhira forged six enchanted blades and sent them out into the world. He says after the world war, he made sure that he would retrieve all six and he hid them in a cellar under his workshop. But we see that Shiba runs over and looks underneath in the rubble and he sees that all of the um, swords are gone. But he stills, but he stills runs over to Chiro and is like, hey man, it's good that you're fine. He's like, or he's like, well, you don't look exactly fine. He's like, hey, that wound on your head, are you okay? But Chiro's is like, hey, it's really nothing. As Shihiro flashes back to his dad who showed him the swords one day and he says, hey, these are the enchanted blades that each have a special power. And Chiro's like, so are these the kind of katana that you want me to make someday? And Kunshige is like, well, maybe, but ultimately it's your decision, but he's like, these aren't necessarily the right answer. He's like, um, you can't just strive to make strong enchanted blades. You're going to have to look at the world through your own eyes and think carefully about what a katana needs and why. As he pretty much says, like, hey, but I'll let you think on that for a little while. But he says, hey, slowly but surely, we'll learn to do that together as we go into the future. But we then cut over to where, of course, um, Rokuhira is dead. And yeah, it's just a really sad moment. Chira is just laying over him like, oh man, who are they? Who killed my dad? And he's like, did they know how much dad cared about all of these katana? And he says, all of this, why did people do this? Chihiro just starts to cry. And he thinks back to all of the goldfish who are now also dead, lying in a rubble. And he sort of imagines him and, him him and his dad singing at a kotatsu inside the fishbowl, all of the fish roaming around around him. We also see that Shiba's just like, man, I'm sorry, Chiro. If only I'd gotten out here a little bit sooner, maybe I could do something. As Chiro just thinks to, of course, the one sorcerer who he clearly got a sight of. And he's like, they have to know what dad believed them. I'll show them and I'll cut them all down with these katana. As we cut back to the present where we see that Chiro is sitting in a window and he has pulled out his enchanted blade and is looking at it, obviously reminiscing on all of this. And we see like water droplets sort of coming off the top of it and the three fish all sort of roaming around. We eventually see that Shiba walks into the room and just says like, oh, hey, Chiro, um, it's good that you're finally awake. And he says like, hey, um, everything is ready, so we'll head out soon. And Chiro's like, what are you talking about? But Shiba says like, hey, we got to Tokyo just in time and we finally got a massive lead. He says there has finally been a sighting of an enchanted blade. As Jihiro is obviously still looking at his sword and all the fish swarming around it, but he finally closes it up and as he puts it in its sheath, water seems to spray out of it. His chair is like, all right, let's go. This is definitely a chapter I liked a lot more than the first one. It not like all the edgy, like, oh my gosh, this guy's gonna cut down everybody using his sword powers. Oh my gosh. But sort of seeing more of the characters of Shiba and Chiro, and of course how Chiro is more of that straight man, while um, Shiba is more of an in Japan comedy. I think they call it like a Sukuyomi, like the funny guy. So it is cool to sort of see that dynamic between them, and I actually do like that dynamic. We sort of see that um, Shiba used his own sorcery, which is very interesting, seeing his own power system, and of course just getting the flashback of what happened. Um, back in Chiro's life that made him the way he is today. I do very much like, and I do love the image of just Chiro just going like, my dad believed in the katana so much. 
why are these people such assholes? And if, um, if they are going to do this, I'm going to teach them myself. I do really like that. And yeah, um, fine chapter. I mean, not too much else to say. And with that, we're going to go and talk about Two on Ice Chapter 1. Um, I think the chapter title is all the way at the end, which is like, oh, come on, Shonen Jump. Um, it's like a 55-page chapter, too. Um, the chapter's just called Two on Ice, I think. So, sure. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I said earlier, I have not fully read the series, or I don't know if I did say it earlier. If I didn't, I'm just going to say it again now. Pretty much in Shonen Jump, I give myself three chapters to check out a series and say, oh, hey, am I going to keep it or am I not going to keep it? I should have done that for a Mommy Yu earlier. I am keeping Mommy Yu, fun fact. Um, but with Two on Ice, I normally um, say like, all right, I'm going to pick three chapters. And like, if I don't like it by the end of three chapters, I'm just going to go ahead and drop it. And this, unfortunately, is a series that I just wasn't into enough. So I did end up dropping it. And because of that, I'm not going to be talking about it too much in the future. So pretty much the brief synopsis of this chapter is you've got a main character and the main character's name is Hayuma. And Hayuma, whenever he was a kid, saw this girl figure skating and he's like, oh man, that looks really cool. I want to be a figure skater like her. And he figure skated a lot until eventually he moves to Tokyo and he's a lot older, right? Or I think it's Tokyo. It's someplace in like the big city. Let me see. Is it Tokyo? Um, I actually don't know. I think that page just bugged out for me. Either way, he moves to Tokyo and eventually reunites with this girl whose name is Kisara, and eventually they become a paired skating people. It's really all there is to the plot of this series, and yeah, it, it just wasn't my favorite, and... <laughs> Next up then is Kill Blue, chapter number 22. This chapter is titled Drowsy Norin. And with what happens in this chapter, this is a bad chapter name in my opinion, because there's a really awesome moment that happens later in this chapter, but to focus it on Norin is a little annoying in my opinion, but we'll get there whenever we get there. But we do start off with Norin as we sort of see that she is rolling around, almost waking up, because of course the whole big deal was, of course, oh no, Kazuma um, hypnotized Norin to sort of have the idea of whenever she walks up, whenever she wakes up, she's going to fall in love with the first person she sees, so... Oh no, Norrin can't wake up and see anybody. So while Norrin is all just flip-flopping around, we pretty much see that Tinmatindo and NG are, of course, fighting into with golf balls and Tinmatindo with his famous soccer balls, right? Um, and as all this is happening, as the two of them are just going back and forth, both of them are sweating and like wiping the sweat off of their brow. And all of a sudden, Tim is like, hey, NG, um, can we time out? Like, we both need to catch our breaths, right? And to this... Um, What's his face? Tinma sort of grabs out some water bottles. I don't know where he's keeping them, but he takes that one for himself and also throws one over to Inji. And he's just like, oh my gosh, Inji's like so good. And he's like, um, his level and accuracy and power are those shots that you can't achieve in one day. He must really love golf. He's like, maybe he should become a pro golfer, right? But as the two of them are sort of just drinking up, we suddenly see that Inji goes over to his golf bag and pulls a notepad out of it, right? He also grabs out a marker and starts to write some stuff on it. And we see the first message that he turns around to Tindo just says same on it, right? As Tim was like, oh my gosh, this guy can actually express himself? Like, what's going on here, right? Um, and all of a sudden, we just see um, a montage of Inji just writing more of these notes as he flips around and everyone says like, hey, you amazing. I really don't want to kill you, right? And Tim was just like, Okay, then we're good at that. Let's just stop this. Like, we don't need to continue doing this. Like, I don't want to die. You don't want to die. We're good here. <laughs> but, um, 
injury just writes like, hey, but I have to complete my mission. He's like, I also can't think real good right now. My brother's trying to fix that for me. I want to be normal again. I want this to be over for my brother's sake. And he, the final message he writes is just like, he's a little scary, but he is the most important to me. And golly gee, like, I don't know how, like, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How seven lines of text re can really just make you like, excuse me, can really just make you like, oh boy, man, I, I feel for you now, Angie, but it really does. I mean, that's just a really nice moment to see. But to this, Tinma's just like, oh man, that sucks. He's like, um, but I can't just walk out of here either. Like, I'm not going to give you crap for your reasons, but in the battle, I guess it's best not to know where your other people are coming from, which is not a really interesting sentiment. But he says like, hey, um, even if I feel bad for you, I'm not going to let myself lose because of it. As all of a sudden, Odagami runs into the top of the stadium. And he's like, oh, hey, Tim, are you okay? And Tim looks around and is like, oh, hey, Odagami, how's it going, right? But the big deal here is that Odagami is just like, yeah, hey, I'm all done with my end. And he's just like, um, I took the older brother out, of course, talking to Kazuma. And Tinma looks around, but he sees that Odagami has the gun in his hand. And he sort of makes a note of like, oh, crap. And we also see that he also has Cosmos lighter in his hand also. AG then looks at this and then starts to freak out as he's just like, you killed my brother. He doesn't actually say that, but like, that's what I imagine he says. And he just starts freaking out as he just screams like, Wah! And he pretty much kicks over his golf bag and a bunch of these explosive golf balls fly out and he just grabs a club and he just starts whacking him towards both Tinma and Odagami. The two of them run and Tinma's like, hey, are you being serious that you killed that other guy? But Odagami's just like, no, of course not. I just knocked him out. Well, I wouldn't kill anybody, right? And as they're both doing this, um, Odagami's like, all right, well, if I can find an opening, I may be able to shoot him and get this over with. But he's like, but we can't just be dodging it ever. And also, I've got Tinma to deal with here. As all of a sudden, Tinma just looked at Odagami. He's like, hey, o Odagami, let me handle this. I can do it myself. He's like, if you can just buy me a few seconds, you can just distract him for me. I'll nail him with a killer finishing shot. As we sort of just cut to what I'm guessing is a few seconds in the future, as Odagami is running in a different direction from Tindo, obviously trying to get Eiji's attention. As he's like, oh, hey, over here, Eiji, come fire at me. Like, um, hey, I killed your older brother. <laughs> like, that sort of thing. And we then see Tinma is standing here. And Tinma is just thinking to himself, like, hey, soccer is another game where you can put all kinds of spin on a ball. As he just thinks, like, there are banana kicks and even knuckleball shots. And, of course, he's seeing this because um, AG put spin on the golf ball before. But pretty much we see that Tinma is just talking about how he can put spin on a ball. And while he's doing that, he's actively doing it. And he starts to put spin on this ball. And he sort of just looks up and he's just like, I'm sorry, AG, but I have to do this. As he just says, I'm sorry, AG, but this is where it ends. As he's, this ball has just so much spin on it. And he goes and he kicks it as he calls this the super gyro spin shot. As this flying soccer ball just goes through and hits Eiji in the chest. Eiji tries to block it with his hands, but it just overpowers him as, um, what's his name? Um, Eiji just goes flying back and gets knocked out. And to this Odagami is just like, oh my gosh, Tinma just took out a Jordan Hitman for real? Like, that's crazy. We then get a shot of both Kazuma and AG laying on the ground, of course, both bloody and knocked out. Odagami sort of makes a note of like, 
man, I guess this is actually over. Like, I mean, but look at this mess. What the hell are we supposed to do all of this, right? But Tinma's just like, hey, Odagami, I got a lot of questions for you, man. Like, who are these guys? And please don't pretend that you don't know, because I know you know something, right? And Odagami's freaking out, of course. Neck Oda, the guy in his ear, is just like, man, this is going to be really tough to explain away. But at this point, as they're both saying, we see that somebody from behind was like, oh, good morning, Odagami. Is that you? As we see that Norin has gotten up. And of course, the first person that she has seen is Odagami. And because of that, oh, look at that. Norin now likes Odagami. Sure, I'll give it to you. Um, I don't really like the ending note of this chapter, but I really love the middle part of it. I love seeing Eiji as a character and how Tinma sort of comes to the idea of like, man, like, I guess in a battle, you're really not supposed to know your other people reasons because that makes you want to root for more. I mean, this is even something we saw earlier with um, Martial Master Sumi, where like now that Nido knows Taiga's whole goal, he's like, how can I possibly want to beat him now? And that is just like a really crazy and interesting moment. Um, I, I just really like it. And then just seeing Tinma use his ultimate like super gyro spin shot thing to take out Eiji. That's just awesome. As you probably know from this channel, Tinma Tindo is genuinely one of my favorite characters in manga that I've seen in a long time. So just seeing him get to look cool, I just think it's really cool. And... The whole Odagami Nor thing will be hopefully seen next week, so... Oh boy, look at that. And with that, we've got five whole series left. I think we got nine done so far, so we're gonna finish this off strong with Nui's Exorcist, chapter number 19. This chapter is titled, Counterattacks Against Nui. Of course, we saw that last chapter, the Morioki dude, or Master Moro as some people called him, broke into the barrier around the school, and at the beginning of this chapter, we see that New Age just hops down to initially start off a fight with him. There's also a little bit of a flashback to the beginning of the chapter that I just didn't mention, and the other thing I didn't mention is this chapter actually has a color page, which means that New Age Exorcist, if I'm not mistaken, had two, two color pages in a row, which this series is doing stupidly well. I, I can't tell you why. I mean, this series isn't great, but it is happening. We sort of see that um, Moro and Nui start to talk, and they sort of start to break some stuff down, and as they're pretty much talking, Moro sort of is like, hey, um, hey, I've come back to take back Shiroha, and Nui's is like, no, you're not doing that, so Moro's like, hey, I figured you'd say that, as all of a sudden, the two of them just start to attack, and there's this big Furia bolt blows that goes back between the two of them as they're just attacking, and Gakuro's even like, what the hell is this, what's going on here? And we also see that, um, oh, I norm I normally remember his name, Kilkatsu, the other spirit guy with Shiroha, is just like, oh man, Morioki slash attacks, um, this is the first time I've ever actually seen him, um, extend this far, but I mean, he's super powerful, right? Um, and both Gakura and Shiroha are like, hey, these slashes are way too close to comfort, like, they're almost reaching us, and they're a long distance away, right? But pretty much at this point, we see that Moro stops... And he lets off the attack as we see that Nue, of course, is still alive and doing fine as she has two hollow weapons of her own out right now. And Moro even like is like, oh man, what a wonderful hollow weapon you have there. Um, the two of them just go back and forth and say a few more things. Um, and eventually Morioki's just like, hey, this is just a guess for me, but I'm guessing that weapon that you are holding can only last for about a minute, right? And Nue is just like, um... Hey, that's an overestimation. I can only use this for like 20 more um, seconds as there's like, okay, that's fine. 
or you're not like, okay, that's fine. Um, I don't know why I said that. I don't know. I just said it right. But Moro's just like, hey, I'll make sure to stand out that far as they go for another attack. Um, eventually, Kokatsu up at school pretty much explains that the reason Nui's sword has a time limit is because that Gakuro doesn't have enough power as a medium. Um, and as you're keeping on going, Moriyoki eventually uses something called a summoning pin as we pretty much get an idea that a summoning pin pretty much speeds up a summoning really fast and while it would take a lot of resources to normally summon a spirit, a summoning pin summons them almost instantly. So he uses a summoning pin to summon Ringo number 11 um, and he unleashes the first, second, and third restraining soul chains as we pretty much see that he is summoning a spirit called Kuranosaki Michi as we also see at the same time that Nui's hollow weapon has been destroyed as Kokatsu up in schools is like oh man to think that the pressure of a Ringo summoning would be this intense as Gakuro's like oh no Nue and that's where we end the chapter I'm not going to say this was particularly good I'm going to say that it particularly happened and with that next up is Akane Banashi chapter number 79 this chapter is titled the man who will be your guidepost we have a nice little title page here with Akane standing on it it's pretty cute I, I like it we start off this chapter with Kurashi walking into the Rakugo Federation place where both Asgao and Akane are. Because, of course, um, at the end of the last chapter, we saw on Karashi's phone that they'd both called him over to see them and sort of like, hey, we've got some interesting news to tell you, right? A lot of this chapter is really just built up on these two talking. And sort of this first big thing is like, Karashi is like, hey, so why did you two call me here in the first place? And. To that, they're pretty much just like, well, here's the thing, like, me, Asagao, like, I am Asagao Kunjakute, and it has been decided that I will be promoted to the rank of Futatsume, as we pretty much see that he brings it up, and him and Akane are both, like, all really goofy about it, and Karashi just is like, okay, why do I really care about this? So they do a little bit of things, and they're just, like, making fun of Karashi, as all of a sudden, one of the other people here in this Rock Go Cafe sort of comes like, Oh, hey, Akane, um, heads up, you're almost on. So Akane sort of walks off and tree trips a little bit as Crotch is like, Oh, hey, you klutz, right? But we see this is because that Akane has been training with Master Ra'a, Rara and her um, other disciple. I, I forget her, her other apprentice. Disciple is not quite the right word there, but okay. As we pretty much see that she has been learning the um, idea of how to do some dance, some interpretive dance sort of thing, right? So she's a little tired from that. We eventually see that Akane is on stage doing Harakugo, and Karashi is looking on owner, and we see the other guy, which I honestly don't know if he has a name, but I'm just going to call him the other guy because I honestly don't remember. But the other guy is just like, man, hey, isn't Akane so good? Um, almost everybody that performs here now is just saying that they love whenever Akane goes before them because she's such a, um, a great crowd warmer, right? And Crush is like, oh, you don't say then, how? And you don't say so, like, okay. But other guy just continues saying like, hey, um, the buzz around her selection round performance last month has been very positive. It's like, she's learned so much and she's able to be more soft and flexible on stage. And there's like, not to mention she's um, rapidly expanding her repertoire as um, <clears throat> the other guy's just like, she seems like um, she's going to have a really big breakout moment soon, right? As Karashi just sort of thinks back to the whole performance where 
of course, Akane and Hikaru went up in whatever that arc thing was called. As he just says under his breath, well, you should have won then, Akane. And the other guy is like, oh, what are you doing? What are you saying? But Kuro's like, oh, I'm just talking to myself. As he sort of just leaves. And that's sort of the last we see of him for a little bit of a second. We then see that Akane is playing a taiko drum as Asuka walks up. He's like, oh, I know you knew how to play the taiko drum now, too. But Akane's like, oh, yes, um, I'm still practicing on it. Um, it's, it's a little tough, though. And, uh, and um, what's his face? Um, Asuka. I just said his name. I don't know why I forgot that. But Asagawa's just like, oh, well, you're good enough already for a lot of things. It says, um, dances, taiko drums, explaining your repertoire. Akane, you're really gunning for that Futatsume rank, are you? And of course, um, we see what the Futatsume promotion list requires. You need to know 50 Rakugo stories. You need, you need to be able to do Kodan storytelling, which is, of course, what um, Kurashi performed last time. You need to be able to do song and dance and also taiko drums. And I do love this little moment. As um, he says, like, man, you're really gunning for that Futatsumi rank. And he sort of grabs out his sign that says that um, he's getting promoted to Futatsumi. He's like, just like me! It's honestly one of my favorite jokes in manga this week. I mean, it is hilarious. But this Akane is just like, well, but of course I know you know what the problem is. And Asuka's like, oh yeah. And he's like, I see what you mean. The main thing stopping you from be, uh, moving up to Futatsumi is getting a recommendation from one of the Arakawa Arch 4. As he pretty much thinks about all of the Arch 4, and of course one of them is Shigama Arakawa. And of course Shigama can't recommend his own pupil. Ikin is also one of the Arakawa Arch 4, but Akane lost the selection round, so she can't get that um, recommendation. And also there's Master Zencho, and for some reason Zencho just hates everything Shigama related, and so he doesn't like Akane, so he's not going to give Akane a recommendation. So, pretty much Asuka and Akane come to the idea of, like, oh, so the only person Akane can get a recommendation from is the youngest member to gain a position among amongst the Arch Four, Taizen Arakawa, also known as the Furious. The two of them just talk a little bit more, and Asuka is just like, well, here's the thing about um, Taizen. Um, he's a lone wolf, so you really won't get anything by just waiting for him. You have to go out and seek for him yourself. And they also talk about the Rinsai Kai tournament, um, but of course, every year the Arakawa Arch, Arch 4 sort of go in a rotation, and of course, Tizen was the year before, and then this year was Ikin, so Tizen won't be around for about another three years, so that is a little bit of a big deal, right? So, Ostagals is like, well, in that case, you may just have to wait a while, but... Um, Akane's like, but I can't. I want to become Futatsume as soon as I possibly can. And she just thinks, like... I have people I need to catch up to. I have rivals that I need to beat. As she thinks, of course, about Kaisei, Rokuro, Karashi, Kaichi, and Hikaru. And, of course, she thinks about, um... Why do I... Isho Arakawa. I almost always forget his name. But, um, she thinks about Isho, and she's like, um, and a wish I want granted by Isho. She just says, I can't stand around jogging in one place. I need to get better. She just says, um, if an opportunity won't come to me, I'll just seize one on my own. And as the two of them continue talking, um, Oscar's is like, oh, well, um, I know, I guess now's not the right time, but he pulls out a little piece of paper out of his pocket and hands it over to, um, Akane, and he's like, um, well, I found this while cleaning out my master's home this morning. He says, I thought you may want to have it. As we see, this is a little poster of a Rakugo event. As Oscar's like, um, I mean, that's him, right? I know you were asking, uh, Master Hasho about him recently. 
as we see it is Shinta Arakawa, of course, Akane's father. We see another guy on there who may or may not be important for later in a chapter, right? But, um, who's his face? Asuka was just like, I was kind of shocked, though, that on the same flyer is none other than Master Tizen also. As we see on this flyer is, of course, Tizen Arakawa, um, um, Akane's father, Shinta Arakawa, and another guy named Chocho Kanjakute, right? But the big deal here is that, oh man, this is Shinta Arakawa, Akane's dad, and also Taizen, and we all see this as like the seventh event of this type, and they're like, man, this is big and crazy, and Akane's like, what is this? And Asuka's like, hey, don't ask me anything about it, he's like, but there is one person I can, person I can put you in touch who you may could tell you a little bit about it, right? Um, and he also says, like, but hey, today's perfect timing, right? Because you can ask him all about, um, Master Tizen, and he also says that today's closer is this guy. But eventually, we cut over to before, where whenever Karashi was sitting with the girl from last chapter, I, al I already forgot her name, and of course, with Master Enzo, and they were talking, um, Enzo was also talking about this guy and telling Karashi about him, and we see at both of this moment in the past where Karashi was getting told about it by Enzo and here in the future, um, both of them say that this is the one man who would be your guidepost, Chocho Kanjakute. Of course, this is the other guy who is on the poster with Shinta and Tizen, so this Chocho guy is pretty important. And we, of course, know that he is the closer for today's Rakugo event, and we see him obviously seeming walkingly if I get to speak, we see Chocho also seemingly walking down a street. This is really awesome. This is an awesome moment just seeing this new guy and like, yeah, this guy's going to be very important for the future of Akane Banashi and there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff to see of him. Next up is Blue Box chapter number 118. This chapter is titled That Kind of Person. At this point, we cut back in time a little bit to when the tournament was actually going on, as we see this chapter's focused a lot on Ayame, as, of course, while the tournament was going on, um, of course, Kyo was having his match, and Akane was, or not Akane, yeah, her name's Akane, I, I got confused saying, like, no, Akane's from Akane Banashi, why, why would there be a, a character called Akane in this series? Nope, there definitely is. So, um, no, it's Ayame, Ayame's in, I knew I had that wrong, it's Ayame, alright, whatever. Kyo was playing his match, and Ayame was sort of cheering for him in the stands, and she even looks and she's like, oh man, everybody playing here is super amazing. We pretty much see that Taiki won, and he gets an award, but later on that day, we see that Kyo is talking on his phone and like telling all of his siblings, like, oh man, I wasn't able to win, but it, it was still fun, but he's like, oh man, I'm sorry, talking to his family and everything, as all of a sudden, Ayami runs up, he's like, hey, that's right, um, your big brother was amazing, as she obviously knows that who's Kyo's talking to on the phone, um, and she's just like, yeah, the sound of his smash is echoed off the ceiling, she's like, his aim was so good, his opponent couldn't keep up, right, um, but Kyo looks over to Kane's like, oh, or not Kane, Ayame, he's like, Oh, hey, I'm sorry, I already hung up the phone, right? And Ayame's just like, oh, you should have told me then, right? But Kyo's just like, well, I know you're trying to tell them, but honestly, you just made me feel a little bit better there. So they sort of have a little bit of a cute moment as we cut to later, and we see that now, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, because of course, we can't have a romance manga without having the Valentine's Day struggles, right? As we see that Ayame is, of course, making chocolate, as she does every year. But this year, Chinatsu, Chinatsu is actually um, going with her, and they're making chocolate together, right? 
there's a lot of a note here where um, Ayame and Chinats were talking about like, hey, why are you making Valentine's chocolates this year? And then like, oh, who do you like? Well, what do you like about that person? They just go um, back a whole bunch and they just talk about why they're attracted to people who they're attracted to and what makes a good quality in a person. And eventually there's a little bit of a note where Chinach is like, oh, hey, hey, Ayame, I really like you. And she's like, you're always just so nice. You're so cheerful and energetic. And the two of them just have a nice little bit of a moment. And Chinach also says like, hey, it doesn't matter what ends up happening. She says, I think people who live for themselves are attracted to others like them, right? And Ayame's like, oh, man, I love you, Chinatsu. At this point, we cut to a little bit later as we see that they get done making chocolate, and Chinatsu's leaving with chocolate in a bag, and um, both Karna and Ayame are just like, oh, hey, take care, and I'm just like, oh, hey, be sure to give it to the boy you like. Um, whenever they get inside, um, Ayame's like, hey, give me your leftovers if, if you have any. I need a few things to give to Har um, Haru, right? But Ayame's just like, oh, hey, no way, I'm not doing that. As we see that, Yami is just like, well, it's not like I like him, as she obviously is thinking about Kyo, but she's like, um, plus he's probably, as she also thinks about Kyo and Hina, and how they sort of have a close relationship, as we obviously see that Ayame is like, oh, head over heels for Kyo at this point, as we eventually see that she just like screams in her room, and she's like, but hey, it's not like me to worry in French, she's like, I can at least give him some of this chocolate. He's like, it's not like it'll kill me at all. And she's like, all this worrying, worrying will just kill him instead. She's like, it's not that big of a deal. And he's like, and she eventually see, we eventually, and we eventually see that she just yells out like, and if he doesn't like meat and he's got no taste at all, right? And of course, Karin hears this and just like, oh boy, what's she up to? In the final panel, or in the final page of the chapter, we see that Chinatsu gets home into the Inamata household, and she's going into the bathroom to wash her hands or something, um, so she drops off all of the stuff that she had at the bathroom door. Taiki walks downstairs and can't help but just, like, taking a um, glance over to what um, Chinatsu put down, and of course, he sees it's a box of chocolates, and he's like, oh right, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Tomorrow, I'll be getting chocolates from Chinatsu, oh my goodness, and that's where I end off the chapter. Well, I didn't do a whole lot of talking about this chapter. I really liked most of the things that were brought up here. Sort of just seeing that how Ayame's head over heels for Kyo. It's just really cute to see. And yeah, um, we're going to see what happens with that next time. Next up then is the Elusive Samurai, chapter number 126. This chapter is titled A Special Move 1337. Of course, last time, um, oh, what's her? Sheena appeared out of nowhere and went down and... Um, help defend Tokiyuki from um, Nagao. We pretty much see that Sheena and Nagao get into a bit more of a conflict as they just keep going back and forth. Um, and, and we pretty much see that Sheena has almost bested Nagao as Tokiyuki just thinks like, oh man, Sheena, what a um, reassuring follower that I've suddenly gained. We didn't cut over to Gimba and Natsu who are sort of sitting up in a tree as we see that um, Shizuku sort of walks up to him and is like, Oh, hey, um, Gimba Natsu, hey, is it possible that you two can go up and, um, help Yasue down from where he's being pretty much hanged up from being the anti-Hojo weapon, right? So, as Shizuku asks this, we also cut over to Akie, who, for some reason, is just talking with all of her troops, just saying, like, hey, well, um, I need to help, of course, Tokyuki rescue Yasue, so I'm gonna do whatever I can, 
as she's like, well, of course, if we also have Gimba and Natsu helping now, we can definitely do this. We cut back over to where Nagal and Sheena are fighting, and we see that um, Sheena gets tired out very quickly because her weapons are super heavy, and um, Masamune made them like that because why not? Sure. Um, and of course, Tokyuki and all of them are up on the steps. They turn around to see Akie and all of her followers um, carrying her up on a chair as all of a sudden they're all running up and Akie pretty much takes out an arrow and fires it into the top of where the post is that is holding up Yasuge. At this point, Gimba Natsu also throw up one of their sulfur bombs in the air and it creates a big distraction enough for them to grab Yasuge and get him on top of the big thing he was being hung up on. I don't know what that thing's called. And they sort of ride him down like a slope on their way down. Um, so pretty much they didn't get caught by all of um, Akie's men. And oh, look at that. Tokyuki is finally reunited with um, his uncle Yasuge and Shiba's really pissed off. I know I flew through that chapter, but I do like seeing Ginba and Natsu do something pretty cool. And I also really like seeing, uh, oh yeah, Tokyuki and Yusuke are united. But there is nothing else to this chapter. This chapter is bad. Any chapter of Akiya these days is bad. And with that, we're going to be moving on to Witch Watch chapter number 126. This chapter is titled The Day of the Disaster Part 13. We see that Khan and, of course, Tokito have finally run up to Nico's group, um, where, of course, Wolf, Kumagi, and Nimu are. They all sort of reunite, and they all sort of have, like, their formalities of, oh, hey, what's going on here? And Keio finally looks over at Kumagi and is like, oh, hey, you were aiming for this outcome from the very start, weren't you? And he's like, you were only pretending to be her friend from the beginning. And Kanji pretty much just continues like, hey, um, you have any idea how much you've hurt her and hurt all of us? Um, Kumagi just sort of then has a moment of asking Khan, like, hey, why did you start protecting Nico, right? And Kanji's like, well, it was because my pa told me to. And he's like, and because her family and mine have known each other for generations, right? And Kumagi just says that, like, then how about getting more powerful as a Tengu? What has been your goal from the start? Are you sure your dad just didn't force you into doing this? And she says, are you sure that you have chosen the right path? As we see that Kumagi's just like, well, as for me, I don't know what's right anymore. I've never made any choices on my own. Like, my life was determined from the minute I was born. As um, she's just like, I did my best to live with all of my expectations. Um, she's like, so how is that any different from what all of you guys are doing? And Nico's like, oh man, poor Kumagi. And at this point, Wolf just sort of cuts everybody off, just saying like, guys, who really cares? Like, this is a conflict, like, who really cares about how you live your own life? You guys better figure out how to do all of that. And he eventually looks over at Khan and is like, all right, now that you're finally here, I'm out of this place. As he finally transforms back into Kago, who is very much knocked out. And of course, Kago not knowing anything that happens while Wolf is out. is so like, hey, Kanji, what's going on here, right? Um, and Kago's just like, oh, he's like, well, um, I don't really know, as he says. But let me ask the crows to survey things from above. And he just says, um... As far as I know, we're just waiting on Morito and Rand to be finished up fighting, and I think that's about it. Um, Nimu then sort of like suddenly pops as like, oh, well, um, I called Momichi earlier, and um, she just said, that, or Momichi just gave me a call back. Like, she said that she met up with Miharu, and that she's um, transporting them to um, Morito's location, right? 
And all of the guys were like, okay, that's really good. If Miharu's um, heading to Morito, well, that means that our Operation Twilight is finally on. And then we cut back to, of course, the fight between Morito and Ran, where Miharu and Mobachi had just appeared at the end of the last chapter to appear behind Ran, and Miharu throws the Twilight Rose at Ran. And as it's getting ready to hit Ran, we sort of get a little bit into Ran's mind. Of course, Morito last chapter told Ran about the Bright Eyes technique and all of the techniques that he has learned from the Ogre Masters beat him. And Ran sort of has a moment where he thinks about um, the Bright Eyes technique that, of course, um, his father had um, excelled in. And, um, of course, Ran's father was the one who taught that to Morito. That's what I'm trying to say. But he thinks, oh, man, my father taught me that technique, too. As he finally activates the Bright Eyes ability and sees the rose flying in from behind him, grabs it out of thin air before it hits him, sort of dodges his head out of the way. And everybody just freaks out like, oh crap, he grabbed it to Twilight, he noticed it like, oh no, this is bad. But as um, Ran is holding to Twilight, the rose sort of starts to sprout out and it starts to wrap around his arm, right? As Ran is like, oh, a magical flower, like I bet you guys are trying to incapacitate me with this. But he just suddenly grabs it and rips the root as he then takes the Twilight and just throws it off the cliff that they're standing on, right? Saying that, yeah... That plan isn't going to work anymore, like, oh no. And Morito especially, but of course Miharu and Momichi and everybody else are like, oh crap, the plan failed, this isn't good. As Ran starts to walk over to um, Miharu and Momichi, he's like, oh man, a transporter and a vampiros, huh? I mean, for surprise tactic, that isn't that bad, but that's still not too great. As he walks over and just kicks Miharu in the face. This, um, all of a sudden, uh, Morito runs over and tries to get another good smack on um, Ran as, of course, Ran just kicked the crap out of Momochi. And then at this point, um, Ran just comes around and just kicks and totally deflects. At this point, Ran runs up and just kicks Miharu straight in the face after trying to pull this tactic and making sure he can't pull another one again. Seeing this, Morito runs up behind Ran and tries to get a good attack on him because, of course, he just hit his friend. That's no good. But before this can happen, Ran uses the Bright Eyes technique and goes around and it completely just kicks um, Morito in the head, just sort of sending him out. Um, all of a sudden, we see that Momochi runs over to Miharu, um, suddenly touches him, and just moves him over to a different spot, um, not too far away, but so they can sort of see the battle going on, or like, oh crap, just getting them away from directly being targeted by Ran. To this, Ran is just looking like, oh man, I've got so much strength and power here now that I remember the Bright Eyes technique, and Morito's even just like, oh man, you know Bright Eyes too, like this isn't good, or right? Uh, Brandon looks at Morito and is like, oh man, I can see so better now, as he just says, I'm mean, with 150 years of training under my belt, I can even see how much life force you have left, Morito, and he's like, I can clearly see, Morito, that you don't have too much left in you, he's like, um, that Kaigoku energy wave definitely takes a whole bunch out of you, and Morito is just like, he can see how much strength I've left, and he's like, oh crap, this isn't good, he starts to get really scared as Rand comes in and just unleashes another flurry of blows on Morito, and Morito just gets knocked out, and he's landed up against a tree, and he's just looking over at Ron, just like, oh no, I'm about to die, like, this isn't good, I need to prank Nico, and he's just thinking all of this, as all of a sudden, we look over to where Miharu and Momochi are, and, um, Miharu's like, hey, Momochi, can you not teleport Morito? 
But Momochi is like, well, if I could get checked her bird to land on him, she's like, I could maybe, but this is such a high octane fight, I won't have a chance to be able to do this. And Miharu's just like, oh man, this is good. I mean, my Twilight is somewhere over that cliff over there, but he's like, at this rate, Morito's gonna die. As we look over to where Ron is walking towards Morito, and he just simply says, checkmate. And that's just like a very scary thing to say, like, oh my goodness, but... Miharu's just thinking, like, right, only thing we can do now is try to find a Twilight. He's just like, um, if Che can find it, you can bring it back here, isn't that right? But Momochi's just like, well, that's impossible. I mean, Che can't search an entire valley alone. But she says, um, I mean, that's, like, cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, funny joke. But she pretty much says, like, I mean, maybe if we had 100 birds, we could do it. But this Mark, um, who's his face? Miharu thinks, 100 birds, eh? As he thinks about Kanji and says, ah, Kanji reached the summit as he also checks his phone. He's like, he looks up in the sky and says all the crows like perfect. And he's like, it's time for the Tengu to shine. As of course, Kanji um, can control birds to find the twilight. That's their new running goal. As we see that Miharu sends Kanji a message explaining the whole entire thing. And that's where we end this chapter. And with that, this video in most senses of the word. I really love this moment in which Watch Order is saying, showing that like, okay, Maybe um, the Tengu actually has what it takes. We can see Kanchi actually go through and show some really awesome energy be before um, this final fight here, right? Um, did that make any sense? I don't think it did. It made sense to me whenever I was saying it. I'm tired. And with that, let's wrap all this up. So we're talking about what my favorite chapters of the week were and who was my character. My favorite chapter had to be Akane Banashi this week. We saw so many cool things, and we even saw this new character, Chocho, who is supposedly going to be important going forward. And just all the personality wrapped up in this Akane Banashi chapter, it was just so good and so fun. I don't understand how you couldn't go wrong with it. Next up is Kill Baloo. Of course, Tim Atendo had an awesome moment there. Martial Master Sumi, in which we saw Taiga and his motivation, and also the dropout um, announcer being a really good guy also. Followed up by that is Witch Watch, another great chapter. Um, those were my top four. And then from here, we got Blue Box, My Hero Academia, Kagurabachi, and Undead Unluck. Those were all the chapters that I thought were good and fine for the most part. I definitely also liked Blue Box, My Hero Academia, and Kagurabachi. And Undead Unluck was sort of that in the middle sort of stages. Ending it off with One Piece, Ichinose's Family, Deadly Sins, Two on Ice, Mama Yu, Nui's Exorcist, and The Elusive Samurai. Like I said, Elusive Samurai just wasn't good at all. And then with that, my character of the week had to be Tin Matendo from Kill Blue. I just like Tinma's character so much, and I wish he was in a better series by Order Guards. And most of what I like about Kill Blue recently has been carried by Tinma. Besides for the last chapter showed Odagami being really cool, but besides that point, I love Tinma, and I definitely think he was the best character this week. Um, I gave it to Stain last week, so it didn't really make sense for me to do that this week. Um... Rip also had a good moment in Undead and Unluck, but it just wasn't really justified in my opinion. I honestly do really like where we learn about Taiga's motivation in Martial Master Sumi, but I, I, I know that he's going to do more stuff in the future, so it's not used to giving to him now. And then I did like Asagawa a lot and Akane in that Akane Banashi chapter. And of course, um, Ran and uh, Morito and that whole fight in Witch Watch is still great, but... I feel like Tinma was the one character I could give it to and be happy giving it to, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot more I can say about that there because I feel like he was just the most deserving character. 
And with that, that's this video finally wrapped up. I know this was a long one, and like I said, we had 14 whole chapters to talk about. Um, next week, we should only have, um, I think we got like 13 or something. So what is still a whole lot, it's not quite as many as we have been having. Um, but yeah, with that, I really don't have too much else to say. If you did enjoy this video, hopefully you won't mind subscribing to the channel and helping me out in the future. Um, it's just a simple little button you can click down there, and it really does a lot just to help me out. It doesn't take much effort, that's just what I'm trying to say. Link down in the description also, I have a Twitter account and a Discord account, which you guys can come and join those communities. Um, we can talk about some stone jumps together, do all that cool stuff. And yeah, um, if you guys have anything to say about these, um, what's called these chapters yourself, if you mind leaving a like down in the description or, um, or leaving a like down on the video and leaving a comment down below. That's what I'm trying to say. But for that, I don't have too much else to say. This was Weekly Shonen Jump, issue number 43 of 2023. I'll be back next week with issue number 44. And yeah, I don't have too much else to say. This will be Gold Plasma 231. Out.